think that's a very wonderful way of putting forward the things, Amit sir, because the way you have described the simple way of thinking out of the box is, uh, you know, completely new to me as well. Because we keep on using this phrase of thinking out of the box, but the way you described it was completely different. And this just reflects the fact as to how we can think about one thing in so many different ways. And also the concept which you described when you were talking about the why, what, and how of looking into whatever you are doing in your life and asking yourself and probably self-introspecting yourself to understand whether you are doing the right thing or not, or whether this thing can be done in a different way or not. So really insightful in that sense. Um, now I'll move to the next question, uh, which is probably more towards the audience that we are into today. Uh, as you know that we are always working in different kinds of teams at the university and the workplace. And transformational thinking in a team is often a reflection of a transformational leader. These are the leaders who transcend the baseline leadership tasks of a good leader, be it managing, supervising, organizing work, monitoring the performance, and somehow they create a foundation for the success uh, with clearly communicated vision and structured action plan for uh, achieving goals. I think a lot of students who are listening to this podcast session might want to know how can they apply this kind of thing in their lives. So how do you think that the students can utilize transformative thinking for their uh, individual betterment? And what can be the different kind of skills which the future leaders like us uh, at the university need to adopt to become a transformational leader? That's a, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, uh, you know, when I was when I was your age uh, or, or perhaps younger, um, there used to be a fantastic uh, set of books that was that were available, um, and and it, it it was pretty iconic. Uh, they were known as the Teach Yourself series, and uh, they were very very inexpensive, and uh, but they they were written by all uh, by by extremely well known academics. So you could you could you could uh, study teach yourself mechanics or teach yourself dynamics or teach yourself uh, physics or teach yourself philosophy and uh, I still own a couple of uh, such books. Uh, uh, teach yourself political thought was 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 one and it was written by one of the most well-known political scientists. So so these these, these were not. Uh, uh, mug books as we, we refer to them in India, you know, where you quickly read something and you become a master of it. So, so I don't think there's a teach yourself transformative thinking. And I doubt if a teach yourself transformative thinking would ever be written by anybody. And, and, and if they are, I would actually ignore it. Because it's a question that we need to ask ourselves first. And again, as I say, I'm not passing any moral judgments on, on any decisions that any student or, or any adult or anyone takes in terms of why we do what we do. And, uh, you know, uh, there's this brilliant book by Chris Hedges, which is called The Empire of Illusion. And um, so let me, let me explain this a little bit. Um, for those who are students of sociology, and, and for those of you, uh, I think, you know, in a way, all of us are students of sociology. There's a general argument that the way we think, 
the way we behave, who we are actually, is not decided by, by you or me individually, is decided by society. And that's called the socialization process. And the reason we are taught to think and behave in a particular way is because it maintains social order. We become acceptable. You know, I mean, I, I wrote this uh, once. Uh, uh, in, in, in fact, it's, it's in the uh, introduction I did to my last book, which is an edited book called The Phoenix Rises, Lockdown Chronicles. And um, uh, in that, I argued that, uh, uh, and also when I wrote the introduction to a South Asia uh, uh, compilation of, of Australian South Asian writers, uh, on, on, on the whole issue of identity and the whole issue of, of who we are and on, on the role that violence plays, on the role of how we perceive other people. And uh, there is a socialization process. And I dare say, if you were in New York, for instance, and you were walking late at night down an alley, which was not properly lit, and you saw three or four people, women, coming towards you, uh, dressed in Western clothes, it might not bother you. You know, you'd, you'd sort of take it in your stride because uh, it's all right. But of those three or four women walking towards you were in a hijab, you know? And if they were Muslim women, you'd probably think differently. You'd probably tell yourself, are they carrying an AK-47 inside their hijab? It's, it's the way we are taught to think. And socialization is really a system of society's survival. It, it ensures social order because we all think the same. We all act the same. I mean, if you were roaming around um, UNSW wearing Indian clothes, you'd probably stand out. I mean, if, if, if all the, let's say, women students were to be roaming around wearing a sari, they probably stand around, stand out, and, and people might say, you know, what's going on? I mean, you know, what's happening? Um, and uh, you start ending up wearing Western clothes because that becomes a sign of acceptability. And acceptability is linked with survival, you know? So you, you then want social acceptance. And because you want social acceptance, you adapt, you adjust, and what is worse, you adopt. Now, if you look at Nazi Germany, for instance, and there's a great book on this, um, uh, which is, um, you know, entirely based on, on studies that were done uh, very recently of Germans who uh, lived through the Nazi years and are still alive. And um, many of them were asked, what happened? Did you not know that your neighbor uh, was being dragged out of his or her house, or that someone was being shot on the street, which you could look at from your window. The book is called What We Knew. And everyone said they had no knowledge. And yet the stench from the concentration camps, the gas chambers, um, was unmistakable. We deny certain things. Uh, because of survival. 
we don't participate in certain actions. We have, we have a way of thinking, but we suppress it because that's not the view that's prevalent at that point of time. And the Gestapo would have been as ruthless with any German who decided to support the Jews. And so you accept that your friend or your neighbor with whom you've broken bread several times, that that person is being dragged out and put into Auschwitz or in Belsenberger or um, in Sachsenhausen or in any of the multiple concentration camps, that it didn't happen, that it just didn't happen. That's socialization. And when you decide to peel off, when you decide to stand up and say that, look, the world is not flat, the world is round, it goes back to history, then you're persecuted because you're challenging the existing theme. You're shaking the social order. You're bringing about what sociologists would say is disorder. And once there's disorder, then it's very difficult to control the system, is it? I mean, so what do you introduce? You introduce punishment. I mean, and, and you know, there are cultural nuances. I mean, in Australia, it might be quite acceptable as indeed it is in India and many parts of the world and the Western education has come in that you can shake hands with a woman, but you dare not do that in Saudi Arabia, would you? I mean, you wouldn't be in Kuwait and start extending your hand to shake hands with a woman. That would be completely unacceptable because as part of their socialization, it's not a sign of disrespect, by the way, it's, it's their cultural context and, and you require respect in order to, to, to be able to deal and negotiate with them and, and, and to live there and to be part of that system. So you, you quickly change and you quickly adopt and you recognize that you can't have bacon, for example, or ham uh, in Saudi Arabia. You accept, you, you know, I mean, you adjust, you adopt. But then there are times when you stand up and say, this is not the right thing to do. I mean, today, for example, in many communities uh, in the Islamic world, and I dare say even in South Asia, um, honor killings are part and parcel of, of the way people live. I'm not saying in urban areas, but in many parts of rural India, intercaste marriage is not allowed. Uh, you know, a Hindu girl or a Hindu boy marrying a Muslim girl or a Muslim boy would not be acceptable in the village. And the chances are that the Kappanchayat would say, that they need to be killed. And the question is, do you stand by and watch that happen? Um, or do you stand up and say no and do something about it? The whole issue about what we knew was really about, would you stand up? Did you stand up when the Nazi regime uh, was, well, I mean, as brutal as they were and, and for what they did? And of course, people stood up. Of course, people suffered and, and were executed. Uh, so when you ask the question that in a team that you're working on and you have a team leader, how can you have transformative leadership? Well, I think very important for us to, again, go back to the basics. And the basics really are, how are you thinking do you think in terms of why you're doing whatever you're doing? I mean, the team is trying to do something. The second question really is with regard to ethics. You know, what are the values that you have in terms of finding a solution? And the third really is, is this the right thing to do? And what does it mean? Can I sacrifice funds, for example? Can I sacrifice profit? Yeah, because you're in the business school, I'm raising this. Can I sacrifice money in order to achieve 
the greater good. I'll give you one example of transformative thinking, which is, which is uh, well, I can give you quite a few actually, drawn from UNSW's own experience. Um, you know, when we talk about waste, um, very often um, we didn't care about it. I mean, some, some years ago, some three decades ago, you know, people would, would there would just be waste. And, uh, you know, you dealt with waste. Uh, and then we started talking about how do you manage waste? And so you, 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 you dug up the ground and you dumped the waste into that ground. And so there were dumping areas for waste. But you had Professor Veena Sahajwala, uh, who is uh, uh, at, at the University of New South Wales. And what she's looking at is how do you utilize the waste? You know, that's, that's, that's an extraordinary shift in paradigm from waste management to waste utilization. And I would say that this is an example, an extraordinary example actually, of, of transformative thinking. And uh, it really means that, uh, and I'd say this uh, with regard to everything, and uh, you know, part of my job as a diplomat uh, um, was the multiple crises that you, you had to negotiate and deal with. So I'd say there are following things which are critical for the team leader and for the team. Um, you have to accept that there's a problem. You know, you're dealing with a problem, you're trying to solve that problem. So you have to first accept that there's a problem. Then you need to try and understand the problem. And then you need to try and find a collective, consultative solution to the problem. I think it's very important. Each one of these is very, very important. You know, when we talk about the, the pandemic, for example, it's important to first accept that there's a problem. A problem in terms of what you're doing, how you're doing it, uh, not accepting that there is a pandemic because the whole, the whole world knows that there's a pandemic. So uh, it's not rocket science to know that there's a pandemic, but are we doing the right thing? You know, in terms of not morally right thing, but are we, are we taking the right technical steps that we ought to be taking? You know, so accepting a problem, which means what we are doing might not be working. Then it means understanding the dimensions of that problem. You know, if you take a, most countries, for example, the whole size of the population, the distribution of the population, the social communication strategies that you use. There are people who, who even in a place like the United States of America, uh, don't accept uh, wearing of masks or, or getting vaccinated. So it is, it's, not, it's not an Indian problem or a Pakistani problem or a problem of, of third world countries, you know, that you can say that, look, I mean, look at these guys, you know, they don't even know that they need to get vaccinated. No, I mean, the, the, there's a very large American population, who I dare say are educated, uh, who believe there's no problem and uh, you don't need to get vaccinated. Um, and then of course, how do you deal with it? Now, the, how do you deal with it? You can, and, and you know, you have enough studies on leadership and I don't need to, 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 to mention this. You can either be a dictatorial leader and, and say, this is the way it's going to be done. And, and that's it. Uh, you can be a charismatic leader, or you can be what I argue as a consultative, collaborative leader, working with the team so that there is a collective objective behind finding a solution and a collective pat on the back if the solution is found and a collective course correction if that strategy doesn't work. And, and I believe 
all of this is part of transformative thinking, where your leadership style shifts, your individual member of the team starts thinking differently, starts approaching the problem differently, because God knows, I mean, you know, if you take water or you take air, I mean, everyone's talking about the same thing on how to deal with it. But certain things stand out, certain people stand out and they make the breakthrough, don't they? I mean, you know, we're all talking about online education. And, uh, you know, I mean, how do you deliver online education? And people started saying that, oh, you, all you need is a laptop. Well, a very large number of people in India don't own laptops and they don't have an internet connection in order to deal with that. And they're poor people. And uh, one of the great ideas that was floated was, why don't you use the mobile phone? And that's a simple departure in terms of strategy. And, uh, you know, simple use of technology uh, because technology is part and parcel of our daily life now. And um, it's really trying to, to figure out why you do what you do. It's at the heart of everything. And uh, I believe once you figure this why out, you'll figure out what and how. And um, it's very important, therefore, uh, to, to, uh, to ask these, these basic questions. I'm not saying you can't live your life without asking them. Um, but, but I think uh, the quality of living uh, perhaps improves. Yeah.